Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and arguably verses 4 and 5 are some of the most important words in the Bible for uh, the Jewish people and for us as Christians. So listen now to God's word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach to you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God with all the days of your life and keep all His decrees and His commandments that I'm commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in the land, flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And then just a few down, verses down from that in verse 13, Moses says this, The Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name alone you shall swear. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated, and let's have a word of prayer together. God, we're grateful for the opportunity today to celebrate uh, the children of our church and to be grateful for the ministries that many of us share with them and to them. Thank you so much for Ashley and, um, and her dedication to coordinating all these ministries and for all these many, many servants who teach and assist and plan and prepare and just have fun with our kids. Lord, bless them all. And thank you so much that uh, Nathan Coyle and Kim Kelsey are coming today and uh, sharing um, their passion, their heart for children's ministry. Now, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to move in this next uh, few moments uh, to convince us of the truth and convict us of, of sometimes of our indifference or our lack of involvement in uh, preparing the next generation to walk faithfully with our God. Thank you for those that do, but help those of us who don't to find our way into a place, a, a niche that, that will contribute to uh, passing the baton of faith to the next generation. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us all. Uh, come and open our hearts and minds to the truth of God's Word. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been thinking a good bit lately about um, what it is parents want for their kids. And it's been highlighted by a number of encounters that I've had with parents in our church, but also with parents that I see with their kids just out in public. And I had a very negative experience this week 
as I was uh, making a visit at St. Joseph Hospital, and there was a little boy, looked to be, you know, Ezra's age, you know, three years old, uh, two to three years old, and he was giving his mother a fit. It's either his mother or his grandmother. It's hard for me to tell, but man, she was mad at him, and he kept pulling away from her and running out into the street, and then he'd make some sound and do this, and, and uh, she started to curse at him, uh, she got very angry with him and she just grabbed him by both arms and just jerked him and drug him across the driveway onto the sidewalk and then continued to threaten him. And I was just shocked as I was watching this unfold and there was a, an employee of the hospital, a guy dressed in a, um, a shirt and a tie and had his badge on that, that was witnessing this at the same time and we both looked at each other and just shook our heads in disbelief. And... Uh, he said, that poor child needs a mother. And I thought about the kids, the kids in our community and in our world who, who are not being parented very well at all. And we all have our moments when we lose our temper and we get upset with our kids and we make mistakes. But, but as Christian parents and as Christian grandparents, I ask you a question this morning. What do you want for your children? What are your deepest desires for your child? And what are you teaching them to be and to do? Both in your instruction, your telling of the stories of what God has done in your life, as Psalm 78 refers to, as, as Deuteronomy 6 also references, the stories of faith that you share with them, and also in the way that you're living your life. Because we all know the faith is going to be taught, but also caught. It's going to be learned by our words, but also by our deeds, by our behavior. Five years ago, in 2014, the reputable Pew Research Organization uh, talked with parents all across our country from different ethnicities and social classes and political parties and and just across the board, and they learned some interesting things that American parents, whether they're consistently liberal or consistently conservative or somewhere in between, they share a lot of common desires for their children. Well over half, over half of these, parent, these parents want their kids to grow up to be responsible adults. That was number one. Responsible results. Who identifies with that? Don't we all want that for our kids? Some of us are still waiting for that to happen with grown-up kids, right? Uh, additional values that these parents said they wanted for their children, they wanted taught to their children uh, by the public school system, by the church, by relig religious organizations, and presumably in the home by themselves, include hard work, that was the second highest. Religious faith, empathy for others, helping others, and being well-mannered. There's a lot of bad manners in public right now, aren't there? So let's, let's hear it again. They, they wanted their kids to be responsible adults, hardworking, have faith, uh, be empathetic, care about others, help others, and also have good manners. And these are all the things that good parents want, still. All of us want, in some form or another, for our kids. 
Earlier this spring, we heard about this big admission scandal that had been under investigation by federal authorities. The Justice Department has charged dozens and dozens of parents with uh, paying bribes to get their kids into the most elite universities in this country. Uh, some of the Ivy League schools, uh, Stanford, University of Southern California, it went on and on. And two notable actresses were among those that have, have been brought into federal court to face charges for the violation of a federal statute. It's a crime to bribe these schools to get your kids in. Now, a lot of people say, well, everybody does it. Uh, it's no big surprise. Uh, parents just aren't getting away with it. The rich, the influential aren't just getting away with it like they once did. What are the values being taught by that kind of behavior? To their, to their children. Their, their children who are moving from childhood and adolescence into adulthood. And what are the ultimate values that you are trying to teach your children? One way to examine this is to look at the time that we spend with our children. Just take a hard look at your daily schedule. What you are doing with your children day in and day out betrays the priorities of your life and also the values that you are trying to teach your kids. Um, given how much time many kids spend at practices and at sporting events, it seems that a lot of parents want their kids to grow up to be professional athletes. But that ain't going to happen. For 99.9% .9 of them, right? It's not going to happen. And there are a lot of other extracurricular activities, school events and the like, that take a lot of our time. And many of these are conflicting with the faith development opportunities that we offer throughout the week for children, for teenagers, for adults. And I've had parents tell me, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to choose. And often they choose the other rather than the ultimate, the ultimate values of God and His kingdom. You know, I was 25 years old when I found out I was going to be a dad. Very young. And um, I think back sometimes about my 25-year-old self. There's a lot about me I don't remember. Connie could probably tell me the things I've I don't remember, because she's got a lot better memory for the past than I do. But, but one thing I do know is that at 25, I was not very mature. I was in Bible college. I was preparing for ministry. I'd been called by God to be a pastor. But there were a lot of things about my life that, that were just not what they needed to be. And yet, I was going to be a father just a few months from that moment at age 26. And I started keeping a journal, something I had never done before. And I wasn't consistent with it, but there were several pages that I filled up with thoughts and with prayers for my child that we would learn would be a boy. Things I wanted for this child's life. And I'm kind of amazed, frankly. I did not write there that I wanted my son to be an all-star athlete when he grew up or back valedictorian of his class, which Jared was. 
I didn't long for him to be wealthy and successful, to be a person of influence. What I longed for, what I wrote down on the page of that diary was that I wanted my child, I wanted my son to be a person who loved God, whose life was committed to Christ, who was serious about a a journey of discipleship with Jesus because I did not want that circle to be broken on the other side. There's songs, gospel hymns that, that sing about us not wanting any one of our children or family members to miss the kingdom, right? And if we believe this stuff, we, we honestly accept the authority of Scripture and what it teaches about, about judgment and accountability. You and I will be held accountable by God for how well or how poorly we've lived our lives. And it will matter as to whether or not we have lived out a life of discipleship for Jesus. Heaven and hell are real places. We we may have different concepts of what that means and what that will be like. But it's clear from a study of Scripture and the teachings of Jesus that there are consequences to living a life for Christ or not. And so as a young man, I had lots of concern about the, the, the eternal things of God. For my child. And I think that was a gift of God's grace to me. I know Connie and I both prayed for our children regularly, even before they were born. Uh, She was praying for their future spouses. There are few choices that matter more in a man's life or in a woman's life than who they choose to marry. We have seen many led astray by a bad choice in that area, haven't we? And those of us that are married to to men and women that love the Lord, that accompany us to church, that pray with our children, that that have integrity about them, uh, who read their Bibles, who serve others in Jesus' name. When we've got that, we know it's a rare thing. It is a very unusual thing in our culture. And so Connie would, would pray for the wife, the future wife of our child, didn't you, Connie? And, you know, those prayers were answered because they married up. Both of them did. And they are fine young men. You've heard me talk about them. They're, they're far from perfect, but they love the Lord. They're trying to live out their Christian faith. One is a pastor. And at age 36, almost 36, he is far and away more mature and has more together and is more effective than I ever was at that age. And, and then our other son is a doctor and has just recently completed his training as a surgeon. Are you praying for your children? For the children of this church, they're your responsibility as well. Don't you ever think otherwise. <laughs> um, these little children that gather up here for the children's sermon, they are my responsibility and your responsibility. We make a vow to them when they're baptized. Um, we, we, we say that we will teach them, we will love them, we will lead them. Uh, we will help them to find Jesus uh, in the years to come. Don't you think for a moment that they're a problem? There are lots of churches that would give anything to have children sitting in their pews on Sunday morning. 
There are a lot of United Methodist churches that are full of old people. And in 10, 20, 30 years from now, they will be closed churches. They'll be boarded up and abandoned for good. Because they have forgotten about the next generation growing up around them. And, and they've not made the church a place where children and youth want to be. And so when, when they get the chance to walk away and leave it behind, guess what? That's what they do. And so don't ever complain to me about children being noisy and loud and running in the sanctuary or climbing on the kneeling rail. I'd much rather have three children climbing over the kneeling rail than to have no children at all. Amen? Amen. So bring them on. And we'll help you parents teach them how to act right, to have good manners. But we won't expect them to be perfect. Even though our children were probably perfect, right? Yeah. I mean, all good behavior must be learned. The faith is caught and taught by deeds and words, and it involves the entire community of faith. We all make that happen. Not just parents. And single parents, overwhelmed parents, parents dealing with, with personal crises, with family crises, it goes on and on. They need us to help them. They need us to give them a break. These moms that, that you know, take care of their kids all week long, six days a week, and then have to come to, to church on Sunday and keep the nursery? Uh, a lot of us older ones that don't have that responsibility during the week ought to be eager to help keep the nursery. Amen? That was not very enthusiastic. <laughs> Wake up. We, we, those of us who think we're retired and we served our time, I mean, we talking about prison here? What? <laughs> served our time? I've heard people say that to me, and I'm like, What? The scriptural pattern is that the older would teach the younger. You do know that, right? The Bible says the older should teach the younger. And so I would expect that we would have too many volunteers to keep the nursery or to help with kids on worship or kids club on Wednesday night or teach Sunday school or whatever because we would understand how precious and valuable these resources are are to us. I don't know who this person is, but someone in our congregation submits an anonymous prayer request on a fairly regular basis that simply says this, prayer requested for kids to exceed expectations. Prayer requested for kids to exceed expectations. Now, I hear in those words concerns for the character and behavior of this parent's children, and I don't even know if they're still at home, if they're teenagers, or if they're grown adults. But I think we all have this, this, this heartfelt desire for our kids to be everything God purposes and longs for them to be. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is speaking these words to the people of Israel, and he gives them what the Hebrews call the Shema. Shema in the Hebrew means listen. And so here in verses 4 and 5 especially, there, there is this, um, 
this imperative, along with these others here, to, to love and to impress upon your kids, to talk to them, uh, to tie the Word of God on your forehead and on your arms. That's what Orthodox Jews still do today. Literally, the phylacteries and, and the other, uh, I can't remember the name of them, but they have them on their arms. If you go to Israel, you see these Orthodox Jews. And they've got Scripture passages written in them. But, but, they're, but to be immersed in, in a, a culture of faith and of knowledge and of love for God's Word. And these actions are to be taken for, for oneself, but also for the next generation. As we read here in these verses, we as parents, as leaders, spiritual leaders, are to teach and prepare the next generation to, to bear witness to the faith. I mean, we're just one generation away from a dead church, from a dying faith. If we don't manage to pass the faith, that baton of faith, to the next generation. And so the Shema has become one of the most important daily practices in Judaism. To this day, Orthodox Jews recite verses 4 and 5 twice daily as part of their prayers. Listen to these words, words that Jesus affirmed, by the way, in the Gospels. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Or the Lord is one, as some translations say. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And this is, uh, from Moses, not just um, an assertion that there's just one true real God. He is also giving them a pledge of allegiance. You are to believe in this God that sets you free, that brought you out of slavery, that made His covenant with you at Mount Sinai. This God who loves you, you are to love in return. And you're to love Him with your whole being and you're to serve Him and you are to teach your children the same. This is the Pledge of Allegiance to the one and only God. A God who is not unknowable, who is unapproachable, who's at a distance from his people. No, he is drawn near. He's intervened in history. He revealed himself to Moses. He reveals himself to us today. So for Christians, the Apostles' Creed serves a similar purpose. And the the first commandment um, is another aspect of, of that that allegiance, that pledge of allegiance for us, the pledge to love God with our whole being, as Jesus taught, and our neighbors as ourselves. Um, These spiritualities all emerge from a heart that is immersed in God, that loves God and loves others in His name. And what we ultimately are teaching our children is not to obey a bunch of rules. We're not teaching them a form of, of... of legalism, we are teaching our children to love God, to give their hearts and lives to following Jesus.